The following is a presentation of WYM, Westminster Youth Ministry. When the Holy Spirit transforms us, he begins in us the work of sanctification. In this, he is making us more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we can tangibly measure and see our growth is through the fruit of the Spirit. In this study, we will be looking at the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 and asking three questions. What is it? Where does it come from? And how do we cultivate it? We hope you enjoy. and get started just so you can have kind of a roadmap for where we are heading. So we've spent all summer looking at the use of hyperbole in the Gospels and we're going to transition into our study for the semester. We're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. So we'll spend the next nine weeks considering that and then we'll jump into a series on the Advent that we started last year but we only had two weeks to do so we'll jump back into that. But before we start tonight, let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we will jump into our topic, which is love. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can join together and consider the fruit of the Spirit and how we can grow. I do pray that you would be with each one of us tonight, that you would shape us and teach us and help us to be better equipped with your love, that we might be able to share love with others. I pray all this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. I want you to think about how you would define the word love. If you try to define that word, you may come up with a whole spectrum of ways that people try to describe it. Love could mean one thing to someone and another to someone else. For example, I have two definitions I want to share with you tonight. I hope you can see the vast difference between these two. In August of 1993, a man named Nestor Hathaway created a hit song that would take over the world, and that song was called, What is Love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. When asked about the meaning of that song, that was my childhood, by the way. When he was asked about the meaning of this song, he said, People always ask me about what I meant. I meant that what is love needs to be defined by everyone by their own definition. It's unique and it's individual. For me, it has to do with trust, honesty, and dedication. See, it's very interesting how he defines that. It's defined by the individual. Even in 1993, we see that super individualistic picture of love. It's all about the single person and what they want and what they uh, long for in love. Now, let's go to the other side of the spectrum. Let's consider what St. Augustine writes. He says, what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. See, one says love is very much about you, while the other says it is always about bringing it to others, showing care and concern for others, not thinking of oneself. So love is an important part of the Christian life. It's something that we think, feel, and do, and it's not always easy to love others. If you're sitting here and you have a pulse, you probably have moments where you're hard to love. Okay, We all have that. We all have moments where we're hard to love. We all have people in our lives that we find hard to love. But love should be an outpouring of the love that Jesus has for us. So we need to be thinking about how we can cultivate that and how we can share that with others. So here's what we're going to do. 
each night this semester, we're going to ask the same three questions. So for every piece of the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to ask the same three questions. We're always going to ask, what is it? Where does it come from? And how do we cultivate it? What is it? Where does it come from? And how do we cultivate it? So tonight, I want us to open God's Word together and see what this fruit of love is all about. And we're going to work off of this premise. So here's our main point for tonight. Love is a reflection of God's love towards us. Love is a reflection of God's love toward us. If you will turn your attention to 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read verses 1 to 13. And here's God's word to us this evening. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, So as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I will know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. In the first couple of verses here, Paul is trying to tell us a little bit something about the activity of love. And what is he trying to get across? He's trying to tell us that oftentimes God's people can get so wrapped up in the activity of the Christian life while actually missing out on the importance of relationships. Specifically, we can miss out on the love that we're to show towards one another. See, he mentions a couple things here. We can do all these amazing things, like speaking in the tongues of men and angels, having prophetic powers, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, having all faith, giving away all that we have, delivering up our bodies to be burned. We can do all these things, but if we don't have love, they count for nothing. Nothing. So he tells us a little bit about what love is. He wants us to look at that and say, look, if we don't have love displayed in this, then it's meaningless. So what is it? What is love supposed to be? So in verses 4 to 7, love is patient, it's kind, does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and never ends Sounds easy, right? But I want you to think about this. What do all these things have in common? No one can do any of this if they're concerned with only themselves. See, love communicates that you are concerned for the other. And it is, think about this, it is so easy to be impatient if you're only thinking about yourself. Your own time, your own schedule, your own desires, wants. It's easy to get frustrated and angry with others If you only care about you in a relationship, friendship, if you're only caring about you, then yeah, you're going to find yourself being very impatient with others and frustrated 
with others and angry with others. On the other side of that, it's going to be really hard for you to bear burdens and endure hardship in relationships if you're only thinking about your needs and your desires. The heart of love is a concern for others over oneself. Burdens and hardships don't benefit us. So oftentimes we just want to run away from them. But the scriptures are telling us that love leans into those things. Because you have a concern and care for others and their needs. So that's what love is. It's about the other. But where does it come from? Let's turn to the first of John's epistles. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And this is what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So where does love come from? According to this passage, John is telling us that even though people from all shapes of life and belief systems, they can show love towards each other, that love first comes from God, even if they don't realize it, even if they don't know it or acknowledge it. This is God's common grace to mankind. He actually gives us things to bless the world. He gives gifts to the world. Common grace isn't salvation. Salvation is a very different gift than his common grace. But his common grace says, I'm going to give some of my good qualities and principles to this world as a grace to the world. So things like this, like love. Even though people may not know that they're reflecting the very love of God, they can still love others. Uh, you know, pretty much all of these we can say that for. Kindness. You can you can go and perform some act of kindness for somebody, and you may not know, but that's actually a reflection of the kindness that God shows us. So this is, again, a gift to the world. But those that actually reflect that love and know it and recognize it and draw their only hope from that love, they're described here as being born of God in verse 7. And this is a big theme in John's epistles, he's tr- constantly giving us tests to put ourselves through to, to know if we truly are children of God. Because he wants us to think about the way that God interacts with us and the way that we interact with him and how he has drawn us to himself. And he's saying, if this is you, if you see these things, know and have confidence that God loves you. That love is grounded in his love because it provides something. Because God sent his only son into the world, we get life. Specifically, eternal life, which is the greatest gift of love that anyone could ever receive. Now, what should this kind of love lead us to? This kind of love should lead us to love one another. This means that the love of Jesus should help us to see others in a different way. This means that when you're frustrated or disappointed in somebody, you can also be gracious to them. This also might mean that we have a special responsibility to make sure that we are loving other believers we can see this in John 13, 34 to 35. You're going to spend a little bit of time in your small groups considering that passage. 
But think about that. We have a special responsibility as Christians to be loving one another. Man, that's hard to do, right? How many times have you been hurt by somebody in the church? I mean, we, we all have. But we're called to love one another specifically because if we're not loving one another, the world's going to look at that and be like, well, why would I want to be a part of that? Why would I want to serve a God whose, whose people don't even get along, whose people don't even love each other? Well, one writer puts it this way, and I think this is helpful. Without seeking the love of God through prayer and scripture, we cannot be the instrument through which God demonstrates his divine love. Where does it come from? It comes from God. And it only comes from God. It starts there, and then it goes outward. So how do we cultivate that? Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 to 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And this is what it says. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching you and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What are some things that we are to dwell on if the fruit of love is supposed to grow in us? The peace of Christ, thankfulness. The word of Christ, relationships, worship. If we're continually thankful for the love that Christ has given us, then we're going to see that thankfulness affect the way that we think and do things. See, it's really hard to not show love and grace when you're consumed by it. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. He's going to touch on a little bit more here. 1 John chapter 4, 16 to 21. And it says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In verse 17, John says, love perfected. This isn't some sort of like, you know, perfect state of love that we achieve here on this earth. This is essentially a way of saying that God's love is made complete. It's brought to completion. It's moving in that direction. And this is why abiding in love through prayer, reading the Bible, through worship is so important for us. Because when we abide in him, we are placed the full hope and trust that we have in the love of God. And as we do that, he's going to grow that in us. This is what gives us confidence as we look towards the day of judgment. So how might showing love to others, especially those that you don't want to show love towards, be a way of cultivating the fruit of love in your heart? Well, loving others goes hand in hand with God's love. Love and hate cannot coincide. We cannot say that we love God but hate someone else. This kind of attitude does not reflect a heart that has been changed. Now, this doesn't mean that 
Uh, every person that we have differences with or disagreements with needs to all of a sudden become our best friends. But what it does mean is that we can, in love, look past those things and show them the same love and dignity that Christ has towards them. And making a practice of these things can actually be a wonderful way of cultivating the growth of this fruit of love. Again, it's hard not to show love and grace when you're consumed by it. C.S. Lewis touches on this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When we are behaving as if you love somebody, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking them more. If you do him good in turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. In 1962, there was a woman named Gladys Kidd who put a dramatic advertisement in the San Francisco Examiner. And this is what it read. I don't want my husband to die in a gas chamber for a crime he did not commit. I will therefore offer my services for 10 years as a cook, maid, or housekeeper to any leading attorney who will defend him and bring about his vindication. There's an attorney named Vincent Hallinan, one of San Francisco's finest lawyers. He saw the advertisement, felt pity, and contacted the woman. He took on the case and actually ended up getting this man released from these charges. He was innocent. And afterwards, the attorney refused the lady's offer of 10 years of service, noting that he was satisfied to have saved just one innocent man from death. And one of the most touching shows of humanity and selfless love, like stories of kind-hearted humans helping others with no kickback or rewards, it offsets the news grimness there, and it gives hope. Yet as Christians, we know of a stronger kind of love. This woman loved her husband so much that she was willing to put it all in the line, like 10 years, like what if... What would happen if he didn't get released from prison? She'd be serving this man for 10 years. Was it a waste? What if this guy turns out to be really cruel and demanding? Was it worth the risk? See, love is a gift to God to this world. She loved her husband and she put it all on the line. Jesus, he came down and condescended to this earth in order to show us his love. And he put his life on the line in order to show us how much he loves us and wants us to love him. That kind of love, this fullest expression of love that's only experienced by the grace of God through faith, is foundational for how we can truly love the way that God intended us to. It's never intended to be self-serving. It's sacrificial. Which goes against everything that our culture tries to tell us. Our culture tries to tell us that it is all about you and your desires and your wants. But Christ's love displayed on the cross was incredibly costly. It wasn't about his wants. It wasn't about his desires. It was about his commitment to his people. When we remember that love had a cost, we should respond in thankfulness, and thankfulness should help us to love even when we don't want to. The reason is because love is a reflection of God's love towards us. So let's spend a little bit of time just thinking through love in our small groups and there's one new thing we're going to do this semester. I have a weekly challenge that we're going to give to you at the end of our small groups so that you can take this material and hopefully apply it for the rest of the week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. I ask that you'll please be with us and teach us more about that love as we spend some more time in the scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM.